morning. I want to say welcome again to those of you who are visiting us for the first time. I know there's a lot of things you can do on a Sunday morning, so the fact that you chose to come and be with us is not a responsibility that we take lightly. We hope that you find your experience here both meaningful and enjoyable. And don't worry that there's kids in service today. It's not going to bother me one bit. There should be some wiggling around, and that's okay. So everybody just take a deep breath in. Out, relax, it's all going to be okay. All right? All right. That being said, let me catch us all up on what's about to go down here. The past eight weeks together, we've been exploring a letter that was written by the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, Same mom, different dad. That's how that worked. Uh, His name was James, and conveniently in your Bible, the letter he wrote is also named James. So, if you've never heard of that, that's okay. You can find a table and contents in the front of your Bible. It'll tell you what page James is on. You can also follow along on screen. But if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open it up to the book of James. We're kind of going to uh, end, well, not kind of, we are going to end uh, the book of James today. We got a few verses to go. It's going to end in what I think is kind of a dramatic fashion. James has very much saved the best for last, as it were. You want the big number five, that's chapter number five. While you're getting there, I want to share a story with you that's going to very much frame in what we're about to read in James. It's an incredible true story. It's going to be like story time here at New Anthem. Anybody else grow up going to the library story time? Yeah, one of you. Okay, well, two, a couple, a couple of you. I got it. All right, well, it's carpet squares. Uh, somebody reads, you sit Indian style. Am I still allowed to say Indian style in America? I don't know. Chris crisscross applesauce is how that goes. I don't know, whatever it is. Anyway, you just sat there and, uh, but do me a favor, try and put yourself in this story. Let your imagination go where I'm going to read. Like I said, it's a true story. A pastor from South Carolina, Clayton King is his name. He wrote this in a book. Some friends of his and him went to go do medical missions in a remote mountainous area of Pakistan. Very dangerous mission. Very much if they got caught, they were going to get killed. And here's his story. Listen to this. We made fast friends with everyone who came to the clinic that day, but it was a long day. As the sun sank behind the snow-capped peaks, we began to pack up our gear, and then I caught sight of a woman walking toward our tents. She had a strange look on her face. She said, do you know how to deliver a baby? Of course, I had no idea how to deliver a baby. I'd seen it done on Little House on the Prairie, so I assumed you needed to get a stick and boil some water. That's where I'm at. However, we had a medical doctor on our team who had delivered babies before. As a matter of fact, she worked in a hospital emergency room, so she had seen just about everything. When I told the woman that, she said we needed to come quickly because one of the village women had been in labor for more than a day, and they feared she would die soon. We left two guys back at camp to watch our stuff, and the rest of us put on our headlamps, grabbed some supplies, and followed this woman to a small hut. Dozens of people were gathered, burning incense, chanting prayers, walking up and down the room. In the corner was a tiny young woman lying on sacks and blankets. Blood and water were on the floor. 
The villagers were taking their Tibetan scriptures and touching them to her head while chanting. Our doctor, Abby, examined the mother and told our crew she was pregnant with twins and the first baby was breached. That's why she couldn't give birth. And if Abby couldn't turn the baby soon and get the twins out, the mother would die from dehydration. There was also a good chance that the first baby was already dead in the womb. Then she asked us all to pray because the villagers were very superstitious. If the mother or babies died, they might think we brought that bad luck upon them and perhaps do us harm or kill us in their anger. By this time, the entire village had arrived to see if our God could do what he'd said. We had told them all about him in the medical clinics. We had given them Bibles and spoken of the power of Jesus. Could it be that God was allowing us to now show them his power immediately after we'd told them who he was? I assumed that was exactly what he was doing. So I prayed out loud, asking our driver to interpret it to everyone who had gathered in the room and at the door and windows. Tell them we have come from America as the people of God. Our God is Jesus Christ, who was killed for our sins and then raised from the dead. He's powerful and loving, and he will show you his power. This mother will live tonight, and these babies will live tonight. God sent us to you for this purpose. If they die, then you can do with us anything you wish. I heard myself saying those words, but I couldn't remember actually planning him out in my head. I then wondered what would happen if the baby was already dead in the womb like Abby feared. Too late now, God would do whatever he wanted to do and we would be there to see the results. Abby had to break the first baby's leg at the hip to get him to turn before she could deliver him. And when he was born, we all held our breath. He was dead. There was no telling how long he'd been that way. No breath, no pulse, no heartbeat, nothing. And we were on the hook for it. I panicked, began praying for God to get us out of there alive, to do something to fix this situation. The rest of the team was also praying while all the villagers watched. And as we were praying, I heard a baby scream. I looked down and the little baby who'd been born dead was screaming at the top of his lungs in Abby's arms. He was alive. God had raised that baby from the dead, and the entire village had seen it happen. Enter James 5.13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. I'd say he was in trouble. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Just so you know that we're in this process of choosing elders and part of their job responsibility is just this, to go and visit the sick and to pray for them and to ask God to heal them and step into them because mainly of this scripture. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Write this down if you're taking notes. Throughout every day, we need to pray. In and through every single day, 
we need to pray. You don't just pray here and there. All day, every day, you should be praying. Are things not going well? You need to pray. Are things going great? Well, you need to thank God for that and pray. Pray and thank God for everything that's happening. As Christians, our natural response to life should always be to gravitate towards God. No matter what's happening in your life, you should always push deeper and deeper towards God. Through every day, we need to pray. Let me just give you some Bible reading advice. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you see a word repeated over and over throughout that scripture, there's a very good possibility God is trying to get your attention with that word. What word was repeated over and over in this scripture? Pray. Prayer. God is very much telling us that through every day we need to pray. However, in my experience, when people read this passage, they always want to go to the healing part, which is part of the passage. It's there. But that's not the primary part of the scripture. It's about prayer and the authority that we have. So despite what the charlatans on TV are telling you, this passage is not primarily about healing. Again, it's part of it. We're going to talk about that. But James is writing really about the authority we have as Christians to go before the throne of God and pray for him to move on our behalf and heal someone. God still heals people if we'll go to him in confidence and to ask. But pay careful attention to this line. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. So who raises them up? The Lord. Everybody say, the Lord raises them up. Now, here's the problem. Does that happen every time? No. Why? Why does God not heal in every situation if there's this promise in Scripture? Plus, 2 Corinthians 2.20 says, every promise is a yes because of Jesus. All promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes is how that scripture goes. So if God promises a yes, and then he says if we just pray in faith, he'll heal, then how come he doesn't heal every time we ask? Here's the best answer I can come up with. You can write this down if you want. I don't know. Three, three words. I don't know. I have no idea. I do know that some people want to rail against that, and they're going to want to blame God because he didn't do what they thought he should do. But here's what God showed me a long time ago on this subject. It's Isaiah 55, 8. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Well, that seems kind of like a cop-out answer, pastor. I'm smarter than you, so I can do whatever I want. That seems a little bit like somebody wants to just abdicate their responsibility. It's ridiculous. Okay, here's all I can say to you if you feel like that. As a Christian who has not had prayers that I wanted answered with a yes, as someone who has not had those prayers 
answered. Many of you know, Lord, I lost a son. I know others of you have lost loved ones and prayed earnestly for a yes. So as someone who has had that happen, and as a Christian who's prayed hard for a yes, but got a no instead, here's the thought process that I had. If God healed every time I asked, then who's really God? And if God did everything that I asked, who's really God? And if I could understand every decision that God made, then who's really God? It sounds like me. And can I just be honest and tell you that I make a really crummy God. Ask my wife. I'm moody. I'm irritable. If somebody is on the highway driving the speed limit because who does that? I'm angry. I'm praying that they would just get raptured and their car and everything would just get out of the way. For the record, this is why we will never have new Anthem bumper stickers. I can just promise you that right now because I would see one on the highway and I would think, oh Lord Jesus, what have you brought to my... Or you're in the drive through and you can't order or you're parked all jacked up at Starbucks and I would be like, oh my, can I burn this car? down, and then I'd have to apologize to you for having that thought. I mean, it just would never work well. So that's, that's why we can't have bumper. Anyway, where was I going with this? I make a crummy God. That's where I was at. And so do you, for the record. And so to have everything that you want would be a disaster for all of mankind. Listen, let me say it this way too. God does not need us to defend every decision he makes. He's not given us that authority. And too often as Christians, we try and apologize for things, especially to people who are hurting because we just don't quite know how to relate to them. We want to apologize, say some sometimes ridiculous things. And God doesn't need that from us. He doesn't need us to defend him. He doesn't need us to apologize. God has never given us that authority. We're not the ones who heal. We're not the ones with the power. God is. Like James tells us, we have authority, and our job is to go to Jesus with our requests and cast our cares on him. But at the end of the day, he gets to decide whether or not he answers that prayer with a yes. That's all on him. So dial in tight to me for a second because this is important. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. As a Christian, if you're praying, God might give you a yes, God might give you a no, or God might give you a wait, and then your job is perseverance. We're going to get there in a second. Here's what I know. His answer will always work for his glory and your good in that order. God never does anything wrong. God always does what's best, even when we don't understand it. Now, a couple things I want to get to, specifically kind of the why behind all of this. But before I do... 
for what this does not happen often, but for whatever reason, this week in my study, God put a scripture on my heart, and I kept trying to, you know, cast it off as something like not enough sleep or whatever it is, but I just couldn't not, I didn't even put it in your notes because I was like, I'm not, I don't, that doesn't apply to what we're saying, but I feel like God brought somebody here this morning to hear this. So if you've been praying, I don't know who you are, but second Timothy four eighteen says the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know who that was for, but if that's you, then praise God. Bottom line, in and through every day, we need to pray. Every day, we need to pray. Why? Why pray all the time? There's a scripture in the passage that says, pray without ceasing. Why is that in there? Because three reasons. Number one, God still heals people. That's why we pray. Because God still heals people. Aside from the Clayton King story I told you, I could have given you dozens of examples just in the few years that we've been going here at New Anthem of God answering prayers and healing people because we've prayed to him. It's really quite spectacular that God would listen to our prayers and heal people because we asked him to. It's real life. It's not just a sermon point for me. I've seen this over and over. God heals people. He just says you need to follow the process. It's a prayer process. First step is to ask. Look at this. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So it's not just a physical healing. God also provides a spiritual healing. Two things really are at work. First of all, you confess your sins to God so that you can be forgiven, and then you confess your sins to one another so that you can be healed. I don't know if it's true for you, but what if the reason you're not being healed is because you're refusing to confess your sins to another person? You're not following the process. This is why I'm so passionate about you getting involved in a small group here at New Anthem and putting people in your life who you can share these things with who you can empower to know where you've fallen short so that you can confess your sins to them, and then in turn, God will heal you, as this passage states. The Bible makes it clear that you need to do life with one another, and that if you confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed. And if you confess your sins to God, you'll be forgiven. All of your sins, past, present, and future, is part of the prayer process. Okay, here's number two. God's concerned about my soul. Why do we pray? Because God is concerned about our souls. James talks about a healing both physically and spiritually. I said that it's a both and, but as culture, we've just decided to kind of camp out on the physical part. We become obsessed with our bodies. Things that are right and good, working out, eating healthy, I'm all for that. But when that is sacrificed at the expense of your spiritual life, then it's wrong. You got to hear me say, you're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. Listen to me, your soul is going to live somewhere forever. Forever. Like, for 
forever. <laughs> Billions of years. You better make sure your soul's right. That's what I'm getting at. Don't, exp- don't sacrifice your soul for the sake of your body. And as Americans, we're too in love with our physical bodies. God cares about your destination. It's why he sent his son to this earth to die on a cross, to be murdered, to be put in a grave on your behalf, and in turn, raise him from the dead to beat death so that we don't have to experience death of our souls either, that we get to live in eternity with him. That's the greatest miracle of all, that God loved us so much to make a way to be right with him and to spend all of eternity in a place that we can't even think or imagine how good it's going to be. I get sick of those freaking like angel and harp, sea on cloud, heaven. That's not how it is. In fact, in September, we're going to do a series, What Happens to You When You Die? And we're going to explore what heaven is going to look like. And we're also going to explore what hell is going to look like. So I ask you to be back for that. But this is why we need to pay careful attention anytime Jesus talks. Because he lived a perfect life so you didn't have to. And he died a death that was meant for you. Because he's the son of God. So anytime he speaks, we need to pay attention. And God cares about your soul. And here's what Jesus has to say about this whole caring about your soul thing. It's Luke ten nineteen. I have given you authority. There's our word again. To trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The fact that there's an opportunity for you at all to spend an eternity with God is the biggest miracle in the history of the world. It's the greatest story that's being told as we speak. And God asks you to be a part of it. Here's number three. Because God still heals and because God's concerned about your soul, that's why we pray. But we also, number three, God wants you to grow spiritually. God wants me to grow spiritually. He wants you to mature spiritually. Grow. Which? How do you do that? James always already told us. Prayer. Prayer is how you grow. I think many of us are thinking wrongly about prayer. I think many of us believe prayer is just talking. But when all is said and done, this is the secret to prayer, okay? Prayer is about lining yourself up with how God designed the world to work. It's about discovering your purpose and walking in line with that purpose that God has put in you. Now, let me say it this way. If all you're doing in praying is talking, you're doing it wrong. How can you discover the purpose if you're the only one saying anything? You have to allow God to speak into you and through you, through Scripture and prayer. It's a both and scenario again. It's a process. The process is speaking and listening. Keep in mind, When James wrote this letter, he was writing 
to Jews. We learn that in the very first verse, to the Jews of the dispersion, to the 12 tribes. And, the, and the, one of the heroes of the Jewish faith is a prophet named Elijah. And so James brings in this figure into this whole prayer process conversation he's having in the letter. It's verse 17 of James 5. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, this is a little bit misleading because it seems like Elijah just prayed, there's no rain. Then he prayed again, and all of a sudden there was rain. There's a lot more to the story than that. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff about King Ahab and Jezebel, and it's a very, very intriguing story. I'd encourage you to read it. It's in First Kings. Elijah did some crazy stuff with bears and killing. I mean, I can't get into it all. We don't have time. Anyway, I'd encourage you to check it out. Here's why uh, I want to talk about Elijah for a second because he demonstrates this whole prayer process in First Kings. So it hasn't rained for three years. And then watch what happens. First Kings 1843. Elijah says, Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. Nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah says, Go back. So get this in your mind. Elijah's in a cave praying. He wants rain. It hasn't rained for three years and six months. The Bible makes it clear. Elijah's just like us. So it could be any one of us sitting in this cave praying, God, please let it rain. And he's got a a servant. He says, go check and see if there's any clouds coming. The servant says, not a thing. So Elijah goes back, starts praying again, God, please let it rain. We need some rain. And he says, anything, not a thing. Again, praise. What have we got out there? Rain? Nope, nothing. Seven times he goes and he prays and he fervently seeks God. And on the seventh time, the Bible says, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, that's it. Storm coming. Go tell King Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. That's a town. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now that's crazy, right? I mean, not only did God have the power to make it rain, but he also has the power to say, hey, bro, tuck in your shirt. You're about to do some running. So Ahab is on a chariot riding a horse as it's raining. And all of a sudden he looks over and there's Elijah just sprinting like Usain Bolt sprinting like a marathon. He's like, hey, like, hey. And then, I mean, what? That's it. It's there. I mean, it's crazy. The Bible's crazy, people. Y'all ought to read it. Now, here's what I think James is telling us through this passage in Elijah and through what Elijah did. We all like the grand finale. God likes the small beginnings. God likes our perseverance. See, we like to see God on the move. God likes to see us on the move, tucked between this promise, this promise that we've been given authority to go before God and pray, and he will listen to those prayers. 
tucked between that promise and then the fulfillment of that promise is the process, the prayer process. There's a promise, there's a payoff, but then there's the prayer process in between. And everybody loves the payoff. Everybody loves to claim the promise that we've got authority in Jesus. Very few people will go through with the prayer process and see it all the way from beginning to end. James is reminding us, follow through with the process. You have to learn to pray through every day. Pray every day. That's the promise. Here's how I wrote it down in my notes. Fall in love with the process. You want a next step? Fall in love with this prayer process. Imagine if Elijah would have stopped at six. Said, man, six times. I guess it's not happening today. Remember the story of the walls of Jericho? They had to march around the city seven times. Dude said, hey, get the feathered caps. Let's play the band, everything. We'll march. On the seventh time, the walls... Imagine if they stopped at six. Where are you at in your life? What if you're about to stop on six? You're on the precipice of the payoff. And you're going to stop on six. You're on the brink of a breakthrough. And you're going to stop on six. James very much is telling you, no, persevere. That's part of the process. See this all the way through. Don't stop on six. Listen to Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Fall in love with the process. Start, take that first step, and then persevere all the way through to the payoff. That's the prayer process. Keep persevering. Keep asking. Keep bothering God. It's the whole point of a story Jesus told about the unjust judge. And the the whole point of the story is, no, keep bothering God. Keep asking. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Just keep... (laughs) Finding Dory, anybody? All right, here we go. Just keep praying. Let's close out James before I get too off track. James 5.19. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And then that's it. That's the end of the letter. Seems like a bizarre way to just end this letter. Why does he end with that? I don't know if you all took writing in school, but uh, I was, went to public school, so I apologize right off the top of this, but I was taught that you had to connect your conclusion to your introduction. That, like that's how you wrote a good letter. You kind of summarize everything in your conclusion by restating your introduction. It's why you write your introduction, your conclusion, and then you try and fill in the body. And James's introduction was James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes and the dispersion greetings. 
how does that tie in with this conclusion? Whoever wanders, they pray for them, they'll bring them back. Like, what, what does that have to do with anything? Remember that these people James was writing to, they were being killed for following Jesus. The reason they had to be dispersed was because they were getting killed and sacrificed for their belief that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So how does this apply to those who wander from the faith? Because in a very real way, God is speaking through James to say, there's no amount of persecution that you can face that can't be covered by Jesus but you're going to be tempted to wander. And in our scenario in 2016, it's very cerebral for us to just think about Jesus and on some level believe that, but to live our life in such a way that people around us are naturally gravitated towards it. The Bible says if you would just Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole point of life. Love God, love people. And so, in a very real way, James is telling us you have to do life with one another. You have to fall in love with this prayer process. But if you're not praying for others, what are you really praying for? yourself. It's kind of selfish in a way. Can you imagine how different the world would look if we just loved each other the way we loved ourselves? If you just put people in your life to do life with other Christian people who are praying for you, who are counseling you, who are hanging out with you, having fun with you, if you would just do that, If you don't have that, you're missing the point of life. Because God told us that he's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. He wants you to spread the good news of the gospel. But he knows it's going to be hard. He knows you're going to be persecuted for your faith, which is why he says you've got to bring other Christian people into your life. Here's how I want you to write it down and we'll close. Today I will find someone to show God's love to Today, I will find someone to show God's love to. And you guys know me. I'm not one of those guys who just uh, leaves you hanging. You say, well, I'm going to find somebody to show God's love to. Well, how? How am I supposed to do that? I've made it easy for you. We had these little cards printed. Typically, we do this at Thanksgiving and Christmas. But I went ahead and had some more printed for this week. And they're uh, something, to ex- something extra to show you God loves you cards. And I'd encourage you to find a way to use this card. Maybe you pay for the person behind you in a drive-thru. Maybe you take your neighbor cookies, just leave this on their front porch. You pay toll for somebody behind you or whatever. It is. You leave your waitress a huge tip because she's a single mom just trying to make ends meet, and that's her third job. So you leave her $50, and you say, hey, something extra show you God loves you. And on the back, it's kind of an invite card to New Anthem because here's what I can promise you. Anytime you invite somebody to this place, it's going to be safe for them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there's a God who loves them and he wants to be in a relationship with them and that he's got a plan and a purpose for their life and and he wants them to try and discover it. 
and in turn love somebody else. Man, how, how crazy is it that you could make a difference with this card? We're not the first church to use these cards either. I've heard stories of, of people finding those cards, getting a car to drive through. I heard about a lady who was going to take her life. So she wanted to go to Chick-fil-A one last time. And the person in front of her paid for her and gave her that card. And she said something extra, show me God loves me? Save somebody's life through a card. It's crazy. You never know how God's going to move. That's my point. But each and every day, you have to pray. Let's close in prayer right now. God, thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you for giving us the authority to pray. Thank you for having the power to heal. As we continue to pray, every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're here this morning, the Bible said that we're going to pray for you and God's going to heal you. And I just believe that that's going to happen today for somebody. So I want to give you the opportunity right now. If you are here, you're physically ill, I just ask you to stand up right now, and we're going to pray for you. My elders are all here, so if my elders want to stand up and just take a look around, then they can also be praying for you. Or if you're here spiritually broken, and spiritually you want somebody to pray for you, I'd ask you to stand right now as well. Because the Bible said that we're going to pray for you physically and spiritually. Elders, you see these folks standing right now. I just ask you to pray for each and every one of them with me as we continue to pray. God, I don't know what's going on in these people's lives. But I know that you just said to pray and you would heal. So I'm asking for healing right now. I'm asking for physical healing I'm asking for spiritual healing. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to circumcise hearts in a powerful way, to soften them, to understand that Jesus has all the power to heal them physically, emotionally, spiritually. Their lives can be made new. I'm claiming that promise for them right now. I'm speaking a word over each person's life for physical and spiritual healing in Jesus' name because he has the power. I thank you and I praise you, God, for answering these prayers. We count it as a yes by faith, all through the power and work of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.